We have a special privilege this morning of having my friend Tim Henderson communicate to us this morning about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he and I sat down several months ago uh, over lunch, and he told me about this, uh, this message that had been brewing in his heart, about the Magi, actually. And so I invited him to come and speak here. He'll tell you a little bit more about himself, uh, but I want to uh, welcome Tim Henderson. Thanks. Yeah, please. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, my name is Tim. My wife, Kelly, and I, just, and, my, and our kids, three of whom are here with us, we just moved to the area about a year ago from State College, Pennsylvania. We attend Grace Point, where we talk about you guys all the time. It's really fun to be part of a church that's involved with this church and all the exciting things that is happening here as you guys seek to grow in Christ and reach Levittown for him. Um, I'm really excited to be with you this morning, and I think we're going to have a really fun message, maybe a little bit of an unusual kind of time, because we're going to be walking through Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is actually the passage that, that Ross read a short while ago, but it's all about the Messiah, the Magi, and the mysterious star that they followed to come see him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through um, Matthew chapter 2, and using some astronomy software, which I'll, we'll, we'll display on the screens, I'm going to show you what it is that I think the Magi saw that compelled them to go on a 700-mile journey in search of a king. And so we're going to, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 2. And we'll have it on the screens as well. And I'll read that to you, and then we'll take a look and see what it is that they saw um, and and walk through this together. So, um, in fact, I'd love to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word as I read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Matthew 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Now, throughout history, people have wondered, what was this? What was the star that these guys saw and followed? You know, was it literally a star? Was it something natural that was a normal occurrence? Or was it, you know, like an angel some, you know, supernatural kind of neon angel going on. What, what was it? And for years and years and years, people have wondered and, and, and have sought to figure this out. And we, in really in recent years, we think that we may have been able to figure it out based on our ability to reproduce this, the sky with, you know, astrological software. So we're going to take a look and try to figure out what is going on. Oh, and by the way, even is, is astronomy, I'm sorry, is astrology even compatible with Christianity, right? There's, there's some very serious questions about that. So we're going to try to take that all apart. Four things we'll try to do this morning. Number one, I do want to differentiate between astrology and the observation of God-given signs. Number two, we're going to try to discover what it was the Magi saw. Number three, we'll try to decipher what it meant. 
And then fourth and finally, we will just dwell for a moment together on the implications of that for us. So, um, oh, and to give credit where credit is due, I learned a lot of this from a man named Rick Larson. And Rick has a website called Bethlehemstar.net. And so if some of these things intrigue you and you want to go deeper into it, that's a, a resource you could take a look at. So you can check out Bethlehemstar.net. But let, let's first begin by differentiating between astrology and the observation of God-given signs. Okay? When I say astrology, what I'm thinking of is your basic horoscopes and the idea. Well, well the definition really of astrology is that um, it is the, it was really it's the assumption and the study of the idea that, uh, that it attempts to interpret the influence of the heavenly bodies on human affairs. And the key word there is influence. Do the stars influence human affairs? Is the position of the stars on the day that you were born, does that have any kind of determinative value on your life, or in particular, what's going to happen to you today? And I would say the answer to that question is a resounding no. And so nothing that I, nothing that I say this morning is meant to suggest that the, the horoscopes that you read in the newspaper or the worldview that lies behind astrology is something good or that you would pursue. In fact, quite to the opposite. Listen, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Here's what it says about this topic. Deuteronomy 4 says, when you look up, this is 419, when you look up to the sky and you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping. Guys, the only thing in the heavens that influences your life, that directs you, that blesses you, and in fact that is sovereign over the affairs of men and nations is God. And we are to reserve our worship for him alone. If we were to attribute that influence that is only his to the stars, it would be to give them credit that is really only due to God and would be, in effect, to worship them. And that is what is forbidden. The stars don't love you. They don't have power. They don't have any influence. And so we ought not look to them for comfort or direction or really anything else. Um, Position of the stars on the day you were born just doesn't matter at all. Um, they don't have influence, we ought not worship them. And what we're looking here, though, is something different. Because though the Bible says don't worship the stars, it does say that God speaks through the stars. In a number of passages, it says that God uses the sky, uses the heavens, uses the stars to give signs and to give messages. Maybe the most poetic and the richest of those is Deuteron- I'm sorry, is Psalm 19, which says, uh, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Because those stars that he says that he speaks to them, it also says that he put them in their exact places. Numerous times in the scriptures, it talks about God's sovereignty over all creation, that everything in all the earth, everything in the heavens, everything in the sky is there by his choosing. Job 9 is one of the places where it talks about this, again, with some kind of poetic flavor. If you go to Job 9, 9, it says that God is the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the south. Do you guys know what the bear is when it says that God is the maker of the bear? What is that? Yeah, do you know which one? We, we call it by something different more commonly than that. Do you know? It's the Big Dipper, yeah. It's Ursa Major, it's the Big Dipper. Probably one of the most recognizable stars or constellations. And you can kind of see it. Can you see the Big Dipper in here? We see this. Am I going to tweak these speakers if I walk out here? I probably am. It's kind of the top left, right? You can kind of see the, uh, the, the handle and then the, you know, the pitcher part of the dipper. The rest of it we don't recognize so much, but that's the Big Dipper there in Ursa Major. Ursa Minor is the little bear, the little dipper. Very good. Um, it, he, say, he mentions Orion. Do you guys recognize Orion? You know, that's... What's that? Yeah, Orion's belt, and that's the three dots. If you look right there, those three dots are his belt. So those top kind of points, the 
pink one on the top is Beetlejuice. The other one, his shoulder, there's his belt right there. And uh, that's maybe one of the most recognizable, you know, constellations in the night sky. You always know it's wintertime when it, when it shows up. Only, only in winter. It's never around in the s- summer or spring. Um, and again, the Bible says that God put these things in their places. Now, of course, what's amazing is that this particular configuration of, what is it, seven, eight, nine, ten stars, it looks like they're a set. But these things are, you know, quintillion, billion miles from each other. They're not all in a plane somewhere, right? They're just scattered about. But from our vantage point, we see this. And the Bible says that God put them exactly where he wanted to put them for his own purposes. Not only, though, did he just put them there, not only does, do the heavens speak, but Jesus himself said in Luke 21, uh, 21, 25, he said, speaking about the time of his return, he says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then, of course, there's Matthew 2 itself, right? If we have a hard time believing that God would speak through the stars, then we really have to grapple with how did these guys get so lucky, right? I mean, they went on this outrageously long journey on a particular time looking for a particular thing, and they found it, right? So either they got crazy lucky applying meaning to what was actually nonsense, or they were right, and that God meant to communicate something to them through the positions of these, of these stars. I want to suggest to you this morning that they were right, and that there really was something going on there, and that we can kind of tap into it and figure out what was going on. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and as we do, um, we'll be looking here at Matthew chapter 2. There's all these clues. We're going we're to function like, we're going to kind of reverse engineer this, re- reverse engineer this, and try to figure out what they saw. Um, as we do, um, I think we want to, we're, we're looking for something that has really three basic factors, okay? And those three factors are uh, kingship, Israel, and birth. Listen to the verse here. Here's what it says, Matthew 2.2. 2. It says, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Okay, now to do that, we're going to use this astronomy software, but first I kind of need to back up and give you some basics on just observational astronomy, okay? Now the Magi were, in all likelihood, they were the wise men, they were the advisors to the king in Babylon. And as such, one of their roles was to study the sky, to study the stars, and so they knew how it worked. They knew the positions of the stars far better than we do. We hardly ever see the stars because there's too much light pollution and we got other things. We're watching TV at night, I guess, right? But they knew the sky and they knew it cold. And so they saw things in this fixed pattern that was meaningful to them. We're going to try to figure out what it was, okay? So basics of, astro- of astronomical observation. Let me, uh, we'll come down here and we'll do it like this. I want you to think about this. The, the stars tonight, what, what's tonight? December 7th, 8th, 7th, 7th? December 7th, what, exactly what the stars look like tonight is precisely what they will look like 12 months from today. In exactly one year, we will be right back in the same position in the solar system that we are tonight, and everything will be exactly the same, okay? So here's how it works. If we were, and in fact, Silas, you might come on up here, buddy. This is my son, Silas. So Silas, you're my son, and so you're going to represent the sun. Okay, perfect. So you stand right here, okay? So here's how this works. I, if I'm, I'll be the earth. My face will be in North America. This will be Levittown, okay? So what's going to happen tonight is we're here, the sun is there, and the earth is spinning, right? So over the course of 24 hours, I'll do this once, and here we are. And as I spin, I'm going to see these, the stars that are over here. But then when we get over to here, I'm not going to see any stars because it'll be daytime. I'm look, it's noon, and there's stars there, but I can't see them because the brilliance of Silas is going to block me out, right? Okay? But then we go down here, the sun, sun sets, and we have another set of stars. Okay? So over the course of the night, I'm going to see this 
and then it's going to change. I'm going to see this. And I'm, we're actually 23 degrees off the center axis, right? So I'm kind of leaning like this. And we come back, and then I can't see anymore. But this exact scene tonight is what I'd see in 12 months, right? And it's what we would have seen 2,000 years ago tonight. It's the exact same thing. However, tomorrow, I will have moved one 365th of the way around the circle, and we'll get a slightly different part of the pan. And then in six months, we're going to cruise all the way over to here, and now the show is very different, right? I'm seeing this over here. This is why Orion shows up in the winter, but not in the summer. Make sense? And then some stars, you can always see because they're, they're around the North Pole, and depending how far you are from the equator, blah, 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 it affects kind of how much it doesn't ever change, right? That's why you can always see the Big Dipper. You can always see the North Star because it's up at the top, and we're kind of doing this, okay? Make sense so far? And then I come back around, and again, I can't see these other stars over there because Silas is, is blocking the view, and the atmosphere is filled with the glory of him, right? So far, so good? Okay, so that's simple, that's clear. And what that means is that for five bucks... You can buy a chart, and you can just dial in exactly what the sky looks like on any given night. It's very, very easy, very simple, but it's also very boring, and nothing ever changes, okay? So whatever these guys saw wasn't anything that I've just described to you, because they'd be going on that 700-mile journey every year, right? It'd be the same thing every year. There's got to be an X factor. There's got to be something different. Something has to be changing in the midst of this unchanging fixed background of stars so far so good okay there is right so here we are not only is there the sun and not only is there the earth looking at all these things but there is this particular band of the sky where the stars don't follow the rules where there are stars that don't stay in this like everything like the well we, we changed it but the you know the distance from the shoulders and orion they never change but there are particular stars that change all the time and they just cut across, they, they go faster than everything else. Sometimes they'll stop, they'll go back. They'll, I mean, it's just a freak show. And they, they were used to be called wandering stars. Does anybody know what we call them today? Planets. These are the planets. What this is, so, so across, not only, is there a, not only is there a sun and an earth, but there's all these others, there's, you know, Mercury and Venus are in here. They're hard to see because the sun gets in their way. But outside, but you can't see them. Venus, you can see when it gets that kind of outside of the range. But then Jupiter and Saturn and everything else is all out here. And so those stars, as, as we're going in our orbits and they're going in their orbits, they're moving, they're cutting through everything else. And so if there's going to be any interaction, any engagement between these points of light, it's going to be where planets cut in and move and go back. And they appear in a very particular band of the sky because if you just envision, think of a solar system model that you saw you know, in elementary school. They're all on a plane, right? The stars aren't just like all over the place, but there's like a disk. There's a record. For those of you that remember what records are, there's this plane of the planets. Get it? Plane, plane. That's why we're talking about this. They all appear in the same line. And so there is this very predictable band of the sky where these things are. And so from Silas to me, if we drew a line from the sun to the earth and out, and then we just traced it around, we could identify, oh, there's a constellation there and there and there and there and there and there. And that particular band would be where we know we would find the planets. And that band is what we call the zodiac. The reason that you've heard of Leo and Virgo and Capricorn and, I don't know, Libra and Aries and all these That's not because of these vague, ambiguous, misleading horoscopes that some Yahoo is typing up in some back room for a newspaper. Those are actually meaningful constellations because that is what defines the edge of our solar system. And so if anything interesting is going to happen in the sky, 
It's going to happen along the zodiac. It's going to happen where those other planets are. Dig it? So far, so good? Okay. Thank you, son. You can have a seat. All right. So what we want to do, what happened was fascinating. In 1609, a guy named Kepler, he cracked the code. If you think, if you think by the way, that the Earth is the center of the solar system, you have a really, really hard time explaining why all these planets are cutting back and forth. What? It's, a, it's crazy. But once you realize, oh, 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 let's reconsider. And let, what if the sun is the center and we're traveling around it? And these other things, sometimes they're going, they're going faster than us. We can see them. And sometimes we're on the opposite side and it appears they're going backward. Everything just kind of suddenly makes sense, which is how we know that the sun is, in fact, the center of the solar system. And Kepler figured out the math of exactly how fast and how far they are, how they're going to travel, such that we can dial in with absolute precision and know the exact position, not just of the planet, of the stars, which are easy, but of the planets themselves. So you can pick a place, any place on the earth, or frankly, any place in the solar system if you want to. You can just, the math works no matter where you're standing. And you can dial in any time, any place, and say exactly this is what the sky looked like. And so that's what we're going to do with this software. This stuff, this, this is like 50 bucks. I mean, you can buy it. It's called Starry Night. You can go buy it today. And you can see what Kepler would have spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours drawing individual plots. You can just dial it in, and we can see. And in fact, what's amazing is when Kepler figured this out, do you know what he started to search for? The star of Bethlehem. He wanted to know what was it. But he had to do it like scene by scene. He had to plot, okay, what would it have been like at this day at this time and draw it out. We can just dial it in and, and hit play and make it all happen. It's amazing. So we're going to look and we're going to see what, what, what it is. Okay, so far so good. You got the kind of backdrop for it? Let's see, was there anything else I wanted to tell you before we started? Mm, no. So but remember this. What we're doing is we're looking for, we're looking for, we've got three keys. Birth, king, and Israel. What do these stars, what could they tell us about that? Okay. Now we know that, we know that um, Herod died in 1 BC, and we know that Jesus was born shortly before he died. So that kind of narrows the search. All of history is a long time. The sky is a big place, but we know we can say just within the zodiac around this time period, what was happening that may have been meaningful to the Magi to make them say, yeah, let's go on a trip. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go in to um, Babylon in August of 3 BC. So our vantage point, I don't know what you can see exactly, but up here, this says Baghdad, Israel. That's Babylon. And we're in August 25th, 3 BC, which you probably can't see at all, but it's true, okay? And our hero here in the center of the room, center of the table, is Jupiter. That big dot is Jupiter. Now, Jupiter is known as the king planet. It's huge. It's massive. It's 80,000 miles in diameter. Okay, or 90,000, 90,000 miles in diameter. The Earth is 8,000 miles in diameter. This thing is just dwarfs, huge, just gigantic. And it's long understood to be the king planet. Multiple cultures would have uh, you know, recognized it as such. Um, and it's, well, but do you know who, Ju- who Jupiter was named after? Jupiter, right? If you name something after somebody, its name is the thing. But Jupiter is, it's the, it's the Roman, it's the king of the Roman pantheon. In our world, we, we are better acquainted with the Greek mythology. Do you know who the, who the king of the Greek mythology is? Zeus. So Jupiter is really Zeus. It's the same, same thing, which Zeus kind of has a greater connotation to us of kingship. That's what this is. This is the planet that's understood to represent the king, okay? So what we're going to watch it do, oh, oh, this is important too, more background. So this is Jupiter. How do I make all that stop? Go away. This is Jupiter. No, go away. This star right here is called Regulus. Regulus means 
king, right? You hear the word regal in it, right? Regal means king. The Romans, they called that star Rex. You know what Rex means? King. Babylonians called that star Sharu. You know what Sharu means? King. You guys know Babylonia. That's amazing. That's right. Okay? So this is the king planet, and it's about to interact with the king's star. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to advance up here one day at a time, one click at a time. So this is the next night, the next night, the next night. And what we're going to find is that the king planet comes in to what we call a conjunction with the king's star. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a particularly close conjunction, but conjunctions happen all the time, and you don't really go on a trip about it. It's not that big of a deal. But it's curious. So this, in the stars, we're seeing some interaction between a king and a king, something kingly being concentrated here. Okay? But again, it's not that big of a deal. But what happens, I mentioned to you that sometimes the stars do crazy things, or the planets do crazy things. So I'm going to hit play and just let it go. Uh, let, me, let me back it up again a, a minute. I'll back you up. I'm going back in time, just a few days. And so here it is. And I want you to watch what happens as we hit play. It comes in, it has a conjunction, stops, turns around, comes back, and I missed it, but it has... Oh, stop. Hey, bro, hit, hit reset for me. Bring me back to the beginning of Babylon. It comes back, and it has a second conjunction. So it comes in. They, may, they probably would have noticed this, but not the end of the world. Stops, turns around, comes back. It comes back to this second place, which I'll try to capture again. Stops, turns around, comes back, and boom. They have a second conjunction. Again, not the end of the world, but it's more noteworthy. And then, as you might anticipate, what's about to happen is that it goes one more, one more lap. Right here, so it goes out, stops, comes back, and a third time, and I missed it again, but a third time it has this, a third conjunction with this thing. Probably for the Magi, when they saw this triple conjunction of the king planet with the king star, boom, 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 that's probably what got their attention and said to them, something is being communicated to us about kingship. Now, we're looking for three points, king, Israel, and birth. Why Israel? I think the reason that they would have something this would be meaningful to them about Israel probably dates back about 500 years. Can you guess why the Babylonians, of all people, might be particularly well-versed in the prophecies about the Messiah? Daniel. Who said that? that? Daniel. Okay. So Daniel was brought out of Israel when when the Babylonians came in and they wiped out Israel, wiped out Judah, actually. Um, he was taken away from his homeland and then drawn in to be uh, an advisor to the king. He was excellent in all things. And he became among the most influential people in Israel. I mean, I'm sorry, in, in Babylon. So much so that it's, it's astonishing. But twice, two separate kings of Babylon who are not Jewish nation. It's not a Jewish nation, not even close. Twice, they issued worldwide edicts that no one can be worshipped except the God of Israel alone. This was because of the influence of Daniel. Daniel himself had astonishing insight. God, God spoke to him in, in ways that are just mind-boggling about the, what the Messiah would be and do, and when, even when, some believe, when he would come. And so it is virtually certain that, that Daniel left an enormous imprint into this, into this Babylonian culture, into, especially among this particular group of whom he was the chief. And among the things that he probably would have taught them was the, was the prediction from Genesis 49. You can look there if you want, 49.9. I don't have a slide for you because we're out of slides phase right now. Genesis 49.9, where, where all of the tribes are being blessed, all the sons are being blessed. And to the tribe of Judah, this is what it said. It says, You are a lion's cub, O Judah. 
O Judah, you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. What that is saying is that Judah is the place from which the kings of Israel will come, all the little kings, until the real king comes. And when he comes, he will reign all things. This is why Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. This is all a reference to Genesis 49. And this, by the way, everything we're seeing here, this is all happening in the constellation Leo, the Lion. All that we're seeing about kingship is happening in the context of Leo, the Lion, which to these magi who studied the stars and knew these things and knew the Messianic prophecies, this probably was breathtaking to them. The king of Israel is being foretold in a very dramatic and peculiar way. So now we've got king, we've got Israel, and we're looking for one more thing, and that is uh, this idea of birth, okay? So do this for me. Uh, Tim, do you mind resetting us again? Come back here to Babylon. And here's what I want you to watch, okay? Now you know what to look for now. You're going to see... You're going to see Jupiter kind of do this three-way dance over Regulus here in Leo. And you, can you kind of see the lion? Can you see this is his head and his mane? He's looking that way and his back comes back here. As soon as the third conjunction takes place, I want you to notice what comes racing in from the bottom of your screen, bottom right of the screen, okay? So watch the triple and then watch the bottom right as we see what's going to happen here. Boom. Okay, one. Two, and then three. As soon as the third comes, look, ready? Here it goes. See it? Boom. Oh, I missed it again. This is harder than it looks. Right here. Right there. That thing that came racing in from the back right, bottom right, that's Venus. You know what Venus represents? Love. Fertility. It is the mother planet. And right here, June 18th, 2 BC, right after this triple dance of the king with the king and the constellation of the lion, the mother star races in on June 18th, 2 BC. This is one of the brightest things that anybody would have ever seen. Do you guys know what, what's the brightest thing in the night sky? Silas? Uh, good guess, but it's actually the moon, right? The moon just kicks everybody else's butt, right? But besides the moon, the second brightest thing is Venus. Now, by the way, Sirius, um, well, we'll talk about this. We won't get into that. Sirius is actually, we don't get to see that where we are. It is the brightest star, you're right, but we don't get to see it where we, where we live. But Venus is the second brightest thing besides the moon, which doesn't really, kind of cheating. And the third brightest thing is Jupiter. So this right here is two and three, which is really one and two if you don't count the moon, conjoining perfectly. And you can't really necessarily even tell because it's hard to see, but you guys, I mean, this is, a, this is nearly a perfect conjunction. These things are right together. And this would have been super, super bright, if you walk out and you see the stars, this thing is conspicuous. This thing right here, June 2 BC, here's what's curious. is This, the, this moment right here that we're seeing, this takes place nine months after the, this, this, this dance with the kings began. So the king, perhaps, is conceived here when this, when this coronation dance begins. And then nine months later, the mother meets the king. And I think this right here, June 18th, I think this is when they packed the camels and said, okay, the king of the Jews is born, and off they go. Okay, now there's one more thing that's part of the story that we want to take to you. So, Tim, flip with me to, um, flip it over to, to Jerusalem. We're going to change our location, and we're going to go forward just a little bit in time. And we're going to see what's going on here. 
once they get to the, um, once they, you know, they, they don't go to Bethlehem. They go to, they, they're not following the star blindly. They see the king of the Jews has been born, and so they head to Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, they have this conversation with Herod. And it's, it kind of goes like this. Uh, let's see. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Oh, that, that's another factor. Herod had to be told about this, okay? So what, as we're trying to do these clues, whatever it is they saw was meaningful to them, significant to them, obvious enough to them that they had to go on a trip, but it wasn't like there's supernovas exploding in the sky and the whole world's freaking out, right? Herod had to be told about it. So it had to be apparent and obvious, but in some sense, only obvious to those that are looking for it. So Herod wasn't like freaked out by what he saw in the sky. He was freaked out by what the Magi told him. And again, I think this all fits into that. So, Verse 3, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go, make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now he's lying. He really wants to kill him, but that's a completely different story. Verse 9, after they heard the king, they went on the way from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now that's... That's a strange comment that he makes because stars always appear to be stopped, right? When you go outside, nothing looks like it's moving. And if it is moving, it's probably an airplane, right? Stars are always stopped. But there is a sense in which a star stops, and we've actually seen it happen a couple times. When a star is moving, I'm sorry, when a planet is moving, it enters what's called retrograde motion, stops, and then goes back. And that point where it, stopped, where it stops going forward and it begins to move backward, that's really what it means for a planet to stop. And so it may be, it probably is, that that's what they were referring to. So now here we are, and I've changed my vantage point from Babylon to Jerusalem because the sky shifts a little bit depending on where you are. And here we are, and this again, I'll zoom in a little bit. This is Jupiter right here, and we're in Virgo, which incidentally is the Virgin. That's interesting, isn't it? And what we're going to see is if let's see how do i do this like this i'm afraid i messed it up when i zoomed it yeah i, I lost the center would you mind reset that tim okay so if i if i go forward what, what we're going to see is jupiter moves down virgo's arm towards her armpit and then it's going to stop so it slows down you can see the thing starting to spin because it's not actually making any more motion it stops and then if I, if I keep going, it just keeps going right back up her arm. It hits that spot and goes back. Here's what's really a peculiar thing. The point where it stops and doesn't go any further, you probably can't see from your vantage point, unless you're in the front row. Can you read that date right there in the front row? December 25th. Now, that's complete coincidence, in all honesty. Like, the, the Magi didn't come when Jesus was born. They, weren't, they were there sometime after that, and... He almost certainly was not born on December 25th, but I thought that was a peculiar little detail, that this moment where the star stops was on December 25th. And if they were in Jerusalem looking towards Bethlehem in the early hours, that star would have been stopped over Bethlehem. And I think, you guys, that that is what they saw. That ultimately, the, the short answer is that it was Jupiter, but it was Jupiter going through all of these things. 
um, the triple conjunction of the king planet with the king star, followed by a conjunction of the king planet with the mother planet, all within lion, the lion constellation, and then moving into the virgin, coming into the full stop in the southern sky over Bethlehem. The king of the Jews had been born. The Messiah had come. And I think that's all pretty cool, but I want to just consider with you briefly the implications for us. And you guys, it's chiefly this. I want to dwell on this. The earth spins and the planets move in a fixed pattern, right? This exact series of events, this conjunction heralding the birth of the king of the Jews, it was set to occur at a precise moment. God did not just move these stars into place when he was ready for everything, but rather um, there, it was already set up. There was a countdown to this. This particular moment followed days and months and seasons and years and centuries and millennia, all leading inexorably to this particular moment. The size, the placement, the speed, the direction of every star and every planet in the universe was planned, choreographed, foreordained, all leading to this moment. And what that means is that there is a plan. There is a plan for your life. Your life and your salvation itself was planned the day that God flung the stars into space. And it means that he flung them with great precision. This confirms the truth of Ephesians 1.4, where it says that God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. It means that Jesus was not using hyperbole when he said in Matthew 25 that the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. It means that everything has been planned and that God is sovereign. Galatians 4 puts it like this. It says that in the fullness of time, another translation says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of son. The stars announced the birth of a child who was born to die, and they were set up on the day of creation. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He is the Savior because he came to take the blame for every rotten thing that we have ever done. And to give us credit for the perfect life that he lived. He was born at a particular time and and died on a particular day for us so that we could know him. And God wrote a message in the stars so that we would know him when he came. He has gone to extraordinary lengths so that we could know him. It was planned before creation and accomplished for you in the fullness of time. Which I think is a very good reason to say, as we do so often, Merry Christmas. May pray for us as we ponder this in our hearts. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Father, we worship you. We honor you. We fall before you in your brilliance, in your power, your majesty, your strength, your creativity. Lord, you have ordained all of this so that we could know you. 
Before you even created the world, you knew that we would fall, rebel. You knew what it would cost to buy us back, and yet you did it anyway. And Lord, I pray for those here that don't yet know you or who are far from you, Lord, that you might persuade them that if you have gone to such extraordinary lengths that you might be worth knowing. And I pray, Lord, that you would do for them what you've done for me to open their eyes to see how desperately they need you and your great sufficiency to meet that need. And that they would worship you and adore you and love you. And Lord, I pray for those here that already do know you, Lord, that you would draw them closer. Lord, we need you today as desperately and fully as we ever did. Before we, before we knew you, our need never diminishes, but we're desperate for you. And I pray that we would experience more and more of you, for you are the best and the sweetest. Lord, you are the King of kings, the King who was born to die. And we love you. And we're grateful that you love us. Amen.